Welcome to Candela. This is Alan Schaller. In this episode, my co-host Christopher Hooten and I chat with Christina Mittermeier, a photographer and marine biologist from Mexico City. Christina is best known for her underwater photography and her efforts to conserve the world's oceans. In 2014, co-founding the initiative Sea Legacy with her partner and fellow photographer Paul Nicklin. Here we discuss the challenges with light a photographer faces underwater, how to turn environmental concern into action, and much more. We hope you enjoy the episode, and you can get in touch and follow the show on Instagram, where we're at Candela Podcast. That's at C-A-N-D-E-L-A Podcast. Christina Mittermeier, thank you for joining us here on Candela. I am so excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, the pleasure's ours. Um, so we wanted to kick off by talking about the underwater shooting that you do, because uh, I think a lot of photography and film enthusiasts who who might be listening have, you know, done a lot of on land shooting, but perhaps have never ventured under the waves with a camera before. Um, yeah, we've, we've spoken to a lot of cinematographers and a lot of street photographers, but it'd be kind of interesting to hear just how an underwater shoot goes down and what a, a day shooting underwater looks like yes uh, uh, underwater photography is kind of like the third stage in my career because i am a diver and have been since 1987 when i was in university but the hurdles to become an underwater camera person are enormous uh the equipment is, is expensive uh it's difficult to um to understand the dynamics of light and what happens underwater with, with a camera but thirdly, you have to be really good at not drowning. So when you have to put together all those things in order to make things work. And then on top of that, you have to uh, be able to get to locations where there's actually something to photograph or shoot. So a day in uh, an underwater uh, shoot is very complex because you need, first of all, the survival equipment to be underwater. And in the tropics, that's nice. It's usually a wetsuit. But here in the northern latitudes, you actually have to get into things like dry suit diving. Uh, it involves a lot of uh, equipment that's cumbersome and difficult to put on. And uh, if you're um, not a very large male for whom most of the equipment is designed, then it's usually big and, and uncomfortable. So, <laughs> so that's mm. the first hurdle. And then you get in the water and um, hopefully you get lost in, in the magic of being in a, in a marine ecosystem. Mm. What is dry suit diving for people who aren't aware? Including yes. Me. <laughs> <laughs> well, dry suit diving is uh, the 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 it's equipment that's designed for cold water diving. So in in essence, it keeps you dry uh, all over your body. Nowadays, it's made out of Gore-Tex. In the old days, it was made out of neoprene and other materials that prevent water from entering your your underwear. So you wear your big pajamas underneath and then you put on this big suit that's sealed at the wrists. And um, Sounds quite cozy. Mm. Oh my God, it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, when you put it on first, uh, because you're completely dried and sealed, it, you start getting incredibly hot and sweaty. And so you have to time it right so that you put it on and then get in the water quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess right, that's one of the, the big challenges, isn't it? The, the limitations on it, you know, compared to street photography, presumably, you know, you're, you're limited in terms of how long you can spend underwater, how much oxygen you've got. So you're really having to kind of perform and try and get shots in a fairly short amount of time, I imagine. 
Totally. So it's uh, it's incredibly complicated because uh, you are at the mercy of so many elements you cannot control, including the behavior of the wildlife that you're photographing. Yeah, especially that. <laughs> especially <laughs> that. But you're right. I mean, you're carrying on your back your survival equipment, which is your scuba tank. And uh, that's a mix of oxygen, uh, if you're a nitrox diver, uh, and air. And it only lasts about an hour depending on how panicky you are, because the more panicky you are, the more you consume the air, so the faster you have to get out. Yeah. So w- without getting too technical and geeky, um, having tried to do some photography uh, underwater myself, uh, we, we were in the Maldives doing uh, a, sh- uh, a piece uh, for a, this like hotel that had an eco, uh, like a marine biology center. And so we were, we were taking some pictures of hawksbill turtles. And I was surprised at how bright it was. Uh, yet when you get to even, you know, like 10 meters, how the, the light fall off is, is rapid. So, um, I was just thinking like, is, is it easier nowadays now that you've got cameras that are much more sensitive to light? Is it easier to, to work down there? And, and how, well, how did you do it before? Like, do you take <laughs> lights down there? I've, it's, it's something I've, I was thinking when I was down there with my, like, yeah, I was just thinking, how is this possible? How do they get all those shots that you see on Nat Geo? Oh, my God. Just in the last five years, uh, the technology has evolved so quickly. So the sensors in cameras now are so much more sensitive and we can actually photograph things that even five years ago were impossible. For example, the northern fjords of Norway, where we photographed all those orcas. Imagine that the sun only comes out in the winter for 12 to 18 minutes a day. And mm. then it's it's pitch black the rest of the time. And you have to photograph in water that's really cold and also really dark. And you're photographing an animal that's black, like an orca. <laughs> and so without these amazing new cameras and sensors, it was impossible. But nowadays, um, a lot easier, yes. And, and especially if you're diving in a place like the Maldives, uh, where it's tropical and warm and there's plenty of light coming in, it's uh, a lot simpler. But you still need to carry uh, strobes or lights. If you're a, vid- a video person, you're carrying a, a light that, that's on all the time. And if you're a, a photographer, you carry mm. underwater flashes. And, and, and just one more little kind of technical question. In terms of uh, lens choice, we, we, we were wondering... Um, yeah, you, I mean, it's not very easy to just snap off your 35 and switch it up, you know. Yeah, so, so obviously so you can't change, but do you, are you using something longer, like a, a 70 to 200, or are you, you know, to, to so you don't disturb the uh, the wildlife, or is it, do you like getting in there and using something a bit wider? I, I don't know. I I, I mean, do with an orca, I'd want, I'd want something nice and long. These <laughs> 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 are... <laughs> These are really great questions. Um, there's there's two things you can do. If you're shooting macro photography, then you, you're getting a longer lens, like a 90 millimeter, and mm. uh, you're still getting fairly close to things. But the way I like to shoot is with my wide angle, uh, especially for big animals, uh, what we call the pelagic creatures, you know, the whales, the mantas, the turtles. They're fairly big, so with a wide angle, you have to get fairly close if you want to get that intimate uh close-up photography that that is what makes people empathize with animals um yeah so you just have to be good in good in the water chris yeah because i've seen i've seen a couple of really cool uh like seal pictures and it looks like really extreme wide angle like as if you're you're like within touching distance almost of them Sometimes guess, uh, the, the sea, mm. they're sea lions, what you're looking at, and they were very curious. So they were coming to me 
and they were looking at the reflection in my dome. They, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Presumably those domes, you know, in terms of how much you can move them, they can't be particularly, you can't be particularly agile. <laughs> you know, the, they're 12 inches uh, wide, the, the one that I use for my underwater shooting. And uh, if you don't have the strobes, the, the flashes, which are attached to the housing with these long spindly arms, uh, and that's quite cumbersome. But if you take those off and you're just swimming with the thing, it's actually quite agile. You can, you can, oh, really? yeah. you, you can book it pretty fast after a shark or a whale. Yeah. I'm, yeah. f- I'm feeling really lucky. All, all I have is like a kind of man bag and a, and a, and a little camera and that's, all, and that's it. And I just walk around. That's awesome. A man bag. I like that. <laughs> Presumably those domes as well is, is what comes into play with the split photography when, you know, you're shooting above and below. It'd be quite interesting. I think those shots have become really popular. People really like them. It'd be interesting to hear how you go about crafting one of those. You know, there's a, an element of voyeurism, right? Because, uh, as humans, what we see most of the time is just what's above. Mm. And there's this real curiosity as to what's beneath. And so this, the split photography allows you to see both. And I, I love it because it's, um, it's, the, it's the mystery revealed, right? Yeah. And, and that's what makes it so awesome, but it's quite challenging to do. So the, the larger your dome, the better your chances. And so at the very least, it's a 12 inch dome. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to, um, balance the exposure below which is pretty dark and above which usually is like three or four stops of light uh lighter and you do that by increasing your iso and by increasing your f-stop so you want to shoot no less than f14 because you want everything above to be sharp as well as everything below and then on top of that you have to throw some light underneath you need your strobes to light whatever is below Mm. so it, it gets quite challenging and then you need the animal to be in the right place as well. That's so right. it's it's it's, uh, it's a hell of a lot of setup, isn't it? And uh, and I imagine for every great picture you've got, it, you've you've probably attempted uh, thousands or hundreds well, uh, b- you, before you know, getting them. You know what they say: the better the photographer, the larger the trash bin. It's true, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um. Uh, do you have a favorite place to dive in the world? You know. I love diving in warm water. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Lately, we've been spending quite a bit of time in the Bahamas, which is almost always magical. But my favorite place to dive is uh, a, a country that very few people have heard of. And because it was uh, involved in conflict for 25 years in a war of independence, uh, people were not diving there, really. So the coral reefs are very pristine. Mm. And this country is called Timor-Leste. It's one of the youngest countries on the planet, right next to Indonesia. And it's it's like stepping back in time. It's just beautiful. Mm. Hmm. We probably shouldn't release the name of it, just in case people are yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, right, that's it. I'm go- yeah. It, it is one of those difficult ones because they need the tourism dollars. And at the yeah, same time, yeah. they, they don't want tourists to destroy it. So we're, we're working really hard to create marine protection, uh, to set mm. areas aside where people cannot go. Mm. Well, that's a good lead into uh, Sea Legacy. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a huge profile you've got on, on Instagram for that. And I know there are various uh, charities to do with conservation that uh, haven't quite got that kind of traction yet. So I, I, I don't know what, what. Yeah, I guess, well, what we were kind of talking about a little bit beforehand is, you know, 
you decide you want to start a charity or one of these initiatives, it must be there's so many different directions you can go in and it's sort of a, a weirdly crowded space. I guess it's difficult to figure out how you can gather people's attention and what you can do. So it'd be interesting to hear kind of how that came about and what your kind of thought was going into it. Yes. Uh, so it, it, it's one of those things that was a very long journey. Um, I, I have been working in conservation for almost 30 years and I started working in those more traditional, big nonprofit organizations that are kind of cumbersome and old fashioned. And I noticed that the communications and marketing aspect of it was almost an afterthought in every way. You know, there was just never enough funding to do proper communications and uh, they really were not lo looking at professionalizing their, their visual communications. They were like, oh, you know, such and such scientist is going to this very special place. He'll take a picture with his phone. <laughs> you know, you're like, that's not, that's not how you, how you really capture the best content in the world. So when we started mm. C Legacy, we wanted to address two problems. Number one is if you really want to stop traffic and make people pay attention in a very crowded environment, you have to come up with the best content. I mean, you guys know this better than anybody. So beautiful content. And then the second problem uh, that we wanted to address was just the lack of funding in general for environmental causes. I, I started looking at this and realized that in 2017 alone, Americans who are the most philanthropic people on the planet donated together $420 billion to charity. That's a lot of money. But mm -hmm. when you look at where that money is going, you realize that almost 40% goes to religious causes. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it goes to, you know, education and arts and health and humanities and blah, blah, blah. All of it super important. At the very bottom, 1.8% goes to this big bucket called the environment. And that includes all of the ocean, all of the Amazon, all of biodiversity, climate change, plus dogs, cats, and horses. So I realized that there's a, a systematic, um, chron chronic underfunding for environmental causes. And that's why there's so many groups that are completely underfunded and incapable of doing their proper communications. Mm. So that's what we wanted to do with Sea Legacy. We wanted to be added value to the conversation. Well, you certainly have done that. And um, <laughs> do, you, do you feel like uh, the online sphere has been a good thing then for, um, for for yourself and for Sea Legacy as well in terms of, uh, I, well, we, we were saying that we, we, well, I imagine that once uh, social media became so big that wildlife photographers are really brought to the foreground more than before because I think they were it was a bit more anonymous wasn't it before you know like you had these beautiful magazines and you'd look through and be amazed and now you'd see a picture caption you know but, you know whereas uh, now you know it's this huge you know wildlife photography is this enormous genre like of, of online content and it's kind of like rat like shoving it in people's faces the the issues of the day you know with uh mm with the, with pollution and et cetera in, in the oceans. So I, I don't know, do, do you, are you a big fan of it? Or <laughs> so what happened really was that just even five, 10 years ago, if you were a wildlife photographer and you wanted to publish your work, you had to go and knock at the doors of magazines like National Geographic. And there's a lot of competition, a lot of big talent. And so getting in is really hard. Mm. Uh, like becoming a Nat Geo photographer is like playing for the NFL, you know. Uh, but with the advent of social media for uh, photographers like myself, all of a sudden we had a place where we could showcase our portfolio for free every day on our own terms. And so we, we're seeing a lot of talent that's been um, emerging and showcasing. And 
the, the truth remains, you know, if you want your content to, um, to go up to the top, you have to be really good at it. You have to be able to stop people on their tracks to look at your content. Mm. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of it and it's been really good because one of the things that really frustrates me with uh, all these documentaries that you see is that you look at content that really moves you and you're not given an opportunity to take action on it. So that just frustrates you even more. So with C Legacy, we wanted to say, okay, it's awesome to have all these followers, all these people who care, but if you cannot activate them, what's the point? Yeah. So that's why we're building this technology platform. We've actually invested quite a bit of money and time to create an experience that shares the wildlife photography that leads with inspiration and hope and that gives people an opportunity to act right then and there and then to keep the metrics of what your actions are accomplishing, which is really mm. important. Yeah. And, you know, attention spans have never been shorter. So, you know, in that gap between someone being like, okay, wow, this is a thing that needs to be addressed. You've really got to grab, be, <laughs> enable them to act on that quickly or it just, you know, gets lost. But it is really, it is interesting this We've, we've, you know, we've talked a lot on the podcast about like a lot of the bad things about social media and, and the internet. But one of the things that is so great is this kind of decentralization of, of like power in a way that, you know, it did used to be that these big publications kind of like held the keys to the castle and that was it. Whereas like, you know, I mean, I, I experienced that when I used to be at a publication and then I was like, you know what, actually I can just start doing it kind of on my own and you bring a few people across with you. And you're less reliant now on these big institutions, which is that's like a seems to be definitely a positive thing. Totally positive, and more importantly, what what we are creating with C Legacy is an enormous community of people who are um, interested in participating. And so donations are a huge part of it, you know. But if you're going to put your ten dollars or your ten euros into a project, I think young people really want to know where that money is going. And mm. if, if you're able with the stories, the, the storytelling, show them their impact, they want to do more of it. You know, what they don't want is to say, oh, I sent my $15 to the World Wildlife Fund and I never knew what happened with it. Mm. So we're really evolving the way that people uh, participate, become involved and really own these issues. Yeah, that reminds me of something. I remember someone once saying that it's not that people like necessarily, they'd be more inclined to pay tax they, they, they feel funny about it because they can't see where it's going. If you can make it clear to them how everything's being spent, people are actually more willing than you'd think to like part with money in that way. Yeah. So, um, our, so our platform, Only One, is like uh, I say to people, imagine that you're watching your favorite Netflix show because it's very driven by short videos. And just when the hero needs your help, right then and there, you're given an opportunity to, to participate. And it can be, you know, tweeting the president of a country or signing a petition or donating. But it doesn't, it doesn't require you to log out, to go to this other link and to sign your name. It's all right there. You know, it's, it's made mm. really easy for you to participate. Yeah. Sure. So to backtrack a little bit, you were born in Mexico City, right? Oh, yeah. And, that, and you kind of, you grew up down there. Um, what point did you decide that you were going to move to America and what was the kind of behind that decision? Uh, see, <laughs> so I went to university <laughs> in Mexico and uh, I studied to become a marine biologist. And from the get go, I, I recognized that what they were teaching in university was more about the exploitation of the ocean than how do we protect it. So I, I think I became a conservationist early on. And my first job out of school was with this big conservation group. Uh, so I was working out of Mexico City doing the policy work on, on you know, issues around Mexican conservation. 
when I, I met this American uh, man who happened to be the president of the organization I worked for, and I ended up marrying him. So I moved to the United States to get married to somebody. But that that first husband of mine uh, was very involved in conservation and uh, quite a quite a stupendous scientist. So I ended up jumping to the big leagues of something that I was really interested in. And um, for 22 years, I traveled the world learning about conservation and what works. Mm, because you are right in saying that there was a long, you know, you, you said at the beginning that you feel like there were three phases of your career, but for a while, the, the focus was like tribes, right? And indigenous people. And then I guess, how did you sort of fall into that? And then at what point were you like, right, I'm going to shift my focus and kind of be more go, see? Go, yeah. <laughs> so first, first phase is, you know, oh, I want to be a photographer and I want to do wildlife. Uh, and you start learning and you realize it's very difficult. So it's uh, a lot of time spent usually in a small blind in some remote corner of the world. Yeah. And, and I was young and I was a mother, you know, I wanted to be with my kids. So I thought, okay, I can't do that. But uh, I was, because... My ex-husband is an anthropologist and we were traveling to these remote tribes. I thought, you know, maybe I can photograph the intersection where nature and indigenous communities meet. And I focused all my energy there. I recognized that not many photographers were doing that or telling those stories. Mm -hmm. And so I really built a niche for myself there. And one of the things is I, I love being with people. So it was really easy to go into these communities and, and meet individuals that would allow me into their lives. And I would, you know, be able to make these pictures and I loved it. But when I moved to Canada and, uh, and I met Paul Nicklin and, uh, he's a stupendous underwater photographer. He's my current partner. Mm. He started mentoring me in underwater photography. And it was a journey of learning, learning to use the equipment understanding how to photograph wildlife and then bringing it full circle to, to start telling the story of indigenous people that live on the coast, but from the perspective of the ocean. So using an underwater camera as my tool. Mm -hmm. So all these skills uh, in this long, long journey are coming together now. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful mix of, uh, of influences of different things there. And uh, you've actually uh, followed, you know, what's interested you from the beginning. Uh, which has led you along the way to where you are now, I suppose, yeah. which is uh, something that I, I teach photography. Uh, sometimes I do workshops and um, I always tell people to stop worrying about learning this style and that style, and, you know, and just like, what, what do you actually like? And then, you know, focus on that and go down that route, which seems to work. Yeah. And then, and, and then it'll change and shift, right? And, and you hmm. open another door and you follow a different path and maybe one day it all comes together. So I guess, I mean, you're, you're pretty invested now into uh, the ocean. Uh, have you got any other projects that, you, that, you're in, that you're interested in shooting or that you don't have time to do that <laughs> you wish you did? <laughs> you know, I, I think I'm always going to be really passionate about photographing indigenous people. So whenever I get an opportunity to participate in a shoot that takes me to a remote village, even if it's far away from the ocean, I, I like to say yes. Mm. But I think 90% of my time is going to be dedicated to the story of our oceans, just, just because I think it's a really important story. Yeah. yeah. This is, must have been interesting when you put a camera in front of Indigenous people oftentimes because their reaction is going to be very different to, you know, especially in, in the West now, you know, everyone immediately performs for the camera and has a smile or an angle. And I suppose they're a lot more kind of, it's just raw, rawly them. Um, 
I don't know if they are, are they sometimes I don't know what your experience is whether they've always been really inviting or whether they are, are confused by the process or how that's been. You know, depending depends on how remote uh, you're yeah. you're working because it's surprising how many indigenous people live amongst ourselves in the big cities and mm. they look like us, they dress like us, but they're indigenous. And um, so they're more used to being in front of a camera. But mm. the trick with that and, and the trick with all photography is, uh, and I know you will agree with me, is to make your subject forget, forget that you're even there. And that takes time, you know. So yeah. if you spend enough time with somebody photographing him, the first few hours are going to be really awkward. But then that person has to go back to whatever that person does. <laughs> they kind of forget about you and let you do your thing. Yeah. I find it, yeah, it, it feels like uh, it would be almost impossible that there are people who can live remotely <laughs> these days. You know, it's hard to it's imagine. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. It's a wonderful thing to imagine. Thing thing that, to yeah. imagine yeah. So true. That there are still, yeah. But I guess I guess patience is something that you uh, you have pl in plenty of supply, you know, with what you do. Because we've been, you know, you're the first kind of, I think first wildlife photographer really we've had on the, the show and you know but we speak to cinematographers who are waiting around a long time on set we speak to street photographers we I remember Steve McCurry would say you know he would he would spy a moment and then he'd be like waiting out for a couple of days returning to it is waiting to see when all the parameters were right but I guess the the amount of waiting you guys must have to do is must be pretty wild because I'm guessing you know the what you're hoping to shoot it can be days weeks until the the they're around and in the right all the kind of well, I, I imagine right. sometimes it just doesn't happen yeah at all. that's right, <laughs> you just go, right. Let's get out of these dry suits and go home <laughs> oh my god I, i'm gonna say that most of the time it just doesn't happen and wow uh, oh. you just have to be really patient and uh, you have to have a good skill set because sometimes you're waiting for a animal but b animal shows up <laughs> and yeah. it's something you were not expecting but if you know what you're doing and you're ready uh you can capitalize on almost any situation it must be kind of heartbreaking if if nothing comes off but then i guess like you say oh. more often than not you you another animal comes comes into the foreground yeah i think you, as you start talking to more wildlife photographers you'll hear that uh, the rate of failure is like 99 percent. we fail all the time yeah. <laughs> it's brutal <laughs> yeah street photography is not that bad yeah, <laughs> you have a lot more subjects. You do walking around. <laughs> that's that's so true. You know, the ocean is so big and so unexplored. Uh, we know so little, and underwater cameras have only been around for a little less than seventy years. So we're just getting started. Mm. Have you ever done um, any kind of deep sea photography? You know, not that interested in deep sea because. Really? Uh, I, I, I find myself gravitating to the top three meters where the light <laughs> is and where a lot of the wildlife is and where I can do the split photography and when there's people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I dive and for a lot of divers, diving is about how deep, how far, how, you know, how long for me. It's about what's the right tool to, to get the photo I want. Have you used drones over the I ocean? Oh my God. And we lose them all the time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I crashed a drone once in uh Pacific in, it, it came up with a warning and it said high wind land. And I went, Oops. it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then, and then I had a feed of the sky 
And I was like, what? That means it's upside down. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, it is. And then it just... Oh, man. It's a my horrible feeling, isn't it? I know. It's like, I can't do anything. You're so impotent. <laughs> just and and of course, you lose your footage. You know, it goes with a drone. So it's so mm. bad. Yeah, it's, no, we've yeah, lost yeah. quite a few. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm just looking at some pictures from above. It seems like uh, dolphins or... Or whales, it seems like could have might have been done with the drone. I don't know. Sometimes they're just done from like a like a the, the mast of a sail ship, or sometimes you you find a good oh, yeah, cliff. Just the mast of a sail ship, yeah, that's handy. <laughs> a good a good cliff, a, a long ship, yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant! How do you spend that time when you are just? On the on a, a a small boat, just waiting it out. Are you reading? Are you kind of it's quite meditative. You know, it is. It is so true. You really have to be good at meditation. If you're in the tropics, it's amazing, right? Because uh, mm. all you need is a good hat and some sunblock. <laughs> but if it's cold, like when when you work with orcas in those northern fjords, uh, you wear your dry suit all day, which means you cannot pee if you're a girl you know you have to take the whole thing off in the small boat you think about that to be successful at this type of photography you need a bladder of steel so. <laughs> Counts you yeah, out, that, that's not one for me <laughs> i could do it maybe uh, but yeah patience and uh just being very meditative you know counting minutes mm. well there you go because you're more meditative than me but I yeah. have a stronger bladder, so, so. <laughs> it's like maybe one semi-successful one, like photographer between the two. Between of us, the yeah. two. <laughs> if you can put it all together, yeah, we can yeah. splice ourselves somehow. Yeah, here's a uh, here's a little a little known fact. But if you're a boy, it's easy to put a catheter uh, in your dry suit, so boys can pee. Girls ah, not so much. Yeah. Wow. Um, I was going to ask you about nighttime photography, uh, but you kind of answered it before with the. Uh, uh, almost pure yeah black sea i mean there's uh, there's uh, there's incredible opportunities for nighttime photography but if you're looking at doing art uh you're mm. trying to use the light as a part as an element in the composition so one trick that we have is if you're in a boat and you lower a very bright light on a rope wildlife will come to the light and so if you dive <laughs> if you dive in the places that are dark and you photograph into the light it can be actually quite beautiful yeah yeah okay yeah even the wildlife's had enough of the dark then they're like oh <laughs> somebody turned on the light yeah yeah god thank, thank goodness it's over there yes exactly so at the, at the beginning of the um, you were talking about how you know it, that it's that one percentage of, of you know money that people give has been going to environmentalism do you think with this kind of obviously huge swell of interest in those areas that we've seen just over the last year or two does it give you cause for hope that you know that, that there will be more action i i think so uh but again people are very distrustful as to where their money goes so uh, we are trying to address that with only one by making it an umbrella for all the other organizations so the money never goes to just see legacy we are showcasing the work of many other groups and trying to it really not instead of making the slices of the pie of money that's available smaller we're trying to make the pie bigger by creating a large large group of people that are donating small amounts uh, to the environment 
Cool. Mm. It is very cool. And my favorite part is that, uh, you know, every person gets their own dashboard so you can see what your impact is over time, but you can also see what your friends are doing and you can see what people, you know, all everybody who's part of this around the world, uh, what our combined impact is together. Yeah. Wonderful. Making things tangible. That's the whole, the whole game, isn't it really? Mm. It really is. And making it cool and fun and gamifying it a little, you know? Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, I think, um, should probably leave it there. Yeah, yeah, I think that was a wonderful interview. Well, yeah. well, we thought so. I hope you <laughs> but yeah, well, I, I think, I mean, it'd be wonderful if you guys want to come diving with me and then. Oh, oh. we'd be absolutely <laughs> delighted. That's yeah. actually something I've never really, I've never really got around to doing properly. And I would have always been interested in it. So, yeah. Oh my God, must be Especially done. All these, all these reefs that are so sadly disappearing, you know, they just seem incredible. Like some of the shots you've done of like anemones and stuff, that's like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it must be wonderful yeah. to see oh, the other world. I hope you get a chance, yeah. Mm. And uh, and just know that we're working really hard to make sure that some of those remain for future yeah. generations. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, keep it up and, yeah, good on you. Thank yeah. you so much and good luck with the street photography. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I'm gonna, I might take you up on that diving one day. <laughs> just send me an email and I'll teach you how to wear a dry suit. Yes. <laughs> Great. Thanks for listening to Candela. You can keep up with future episodes and news on the show on our Instagram at Candela Podcast. That's at C-A-N-D-E-L-A Podcast. We will also be posting photography and cinematography that we like on there. You can also find us on YouTube and Vero.